0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. I'm Richard Sveresen. And I'm Anna Svetska. Today, we're joined by Alessandro Vitelli and Paolo Cohi. Alessandro is an expert in all matters carbon and has been covering this market since the 1780s. Paolo, of consultancy at has analysed EU power, carbon and coal, coal markets for almost as long. A warm welcome to you both. Hello. Hello, thank you. Today we return once more to the European carbon market, an important driver of markets across the continent and hopefully a trigger for a cleaner energy mix and a cleaner, cleaner world in general. Alessandro, CO2 prices, they rose Euro 5 in April, about 20%. That's um, right. Uh, and why why is that? I mean they've since come off a bit. So could you talk us through the dynamics? Sure. So uh, April and this week as well. Back in the beginning of April, we were
1: still digesting the delay of Brexit from the end of march through to the end of october and that postponement i think drove a slight relief rally in the market because investors were not certain how things were going to go with a sudden brexit at the end of march instead we now have another six months or so to argue over the details and get a deal perhaps mm. and that gave them a sense of, of continuity and and the optimism to remain invested in carbon Secondly, we had the compliance deadline at the end of April, so there was a a steady th- you know, drumbeat of buying from compliance installations throughout the month, and that also supported prices. You also had uh, energy levels more or less holding firm throughout the month, and that also supported carbon. Now that we've come to the end of all of that, the end of the compliance period, the Brexit postponement is kind of worn off now. Mm. We move into May, which is traditionally a more mixed month. If you look back at the performance of the carbon market throughout the month of May, in historical terms, it's risen six times, it's fallen five times. Mm-hmm.
0: So it's, it's more of a 50 Even Stevens. Yeah, then, yeah. Mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, yeah. What are your views here, Paolo? Is this, I mean, from what Alessandro is saying, this is more psychology. Uh, we're past the Brexit, the fears of a Brexit and a, and a, and a hard Brexit. But um, are there other fundamentals at play?
2: Yes, I agree with Alessandro. Essentially this move was a short-term move. I think technicals uh come into into play because the market sort of toyed with this level um one level in particular that comes to mind is 25.7. Uh, which, you know, was broken after, after a few attempts. And when, when this happens, the market tends to, if it's broken from coming from the bo- bottom, it tends to shoot up. Uh, but then this euphoria sort of uh, tends to uh, be brought to mm. a halt almost by profit-taking, mm. which is another uh, characteristic of such, of such markets. This is technical analysis one hundred and one, where resistance becomes support. So Mm. I expected the markets, once they broke to the upside, to continue that, and at the same time, the relief ready was uh, brought back into into the corral, so to speak, Mm. uh, by profit taking. Mm. This dynamic uh, is is not atypical, so to say, and so uh, while it was expected then that the actual measurements of how much it goes up or how much it goes down
1: remain to be uh, be seen.
0: Mm. Alton, you're going to add something here?
1: One additional point is on a very purely technical point, May the 2nd, the the declining markets managed to fill in a gap that was created between the high of April the 9th and the low of April the 10th. And now that 8 cent gap between the low and the high was whole, it was hanging over the market a little bit. People were, th- were referring to it, and people were remembering that this gap needed to be filled. Today we've done that. We're now down to, you know, the twenty five twenty area. So we've mm-hmm. filled the gap, and what comes next is going to be really interesting. So we're mm-hmm. now at a sort of a critical point, I think, for a return to the upward trend, or do we see a little
0: bit more selling? Mm-hmm. What are the aspects to look out for it in May then? Here,
1: difficult to say. I, I think watching the gas price is going to be an important thing, mm-hmm. um, as you know, gas has been under pressure from massive oversupply for the past couple, you know, few months, and whether or not gas can sustain current levels, or if they drip, uh, you know, drift further, slowly, slowly, slowly falling, uh, that may take away some of the support. Mm-hmm. If, however, things balance out and we have a, a sustained consolidation slash slow rally that Mm. could help carbon as well on its way back up
0: Mm. what are your views here Paulo?
1: Brexit, Brexit, Brexit. In a way, okay. so so. We're so back part to Brexit. In, in back May to
2: Brexit a... because not not in May, but again, they con We're still feeling the consequences of what was essentially very recent news. You know, mm. we, as far as we knew, Brexit should have happened at the end of March. Well, then at, by the twelfth of April, and now here we are looking at this future that goes, uh, you know, all the way up to Q3, essentially. Mm. Um, but but that is continued to influence uh, markets because of a couple of reasons. One is, of course. Market participants have already priced in some of the uncertainty related to Brexit, but not all of it. Mm. So I expect this to continue influencing the market. It's, now don't please don't ask me in which direction this will go. The only thing that I guess is safe to say is is expect a bit more volatility.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, a roller coaster ride. Or- Yes, Mm.
2: especially because one of the important components of these markets, if we're looking at uh, the short term, is the speculative component. Mm -hmm. And speculators add liquidity and love volatility.
0: Mm. So speculators will be looking at this market again.
2: Yes, speculators have been back into well, the market. if they ever left it. Yeah. No, they never, they never really left it, and then there's different kinds of speculators. But But in terms of market dynamics, what speculators do is essentially, as I said, add liquidity, but at some point they like to take a profit. And so this surge that we've seen with the market heading towards 30, which was not reached, but then... You know, coming mm. back, I think it's partially driven uh, by the speculators taking profits. That, however, is not the only dynamic.
0: Mm. Sure. Is this your hearing as well? Alison? I
1: do hear that. I mean, I think Paolo makes an important point here that Brexit, it's not gone, it's just receded a bit into the distance. Mm. And As we proceed through May and June, that's going to come back onto the horizon and get closer to us. And that's going to affect the way people act in the market, particularly Mm. the speculative elements. Mm. So it's gone away for a little bit, and that helped us in April. It may even help us in May. But as we proceed into the summer, it's going to come back. And Mm. we need to be aware of that. Help us in terms of increasing prices. Mm. Well, the fact that it got postponed Mm. was what helped April prices rally 20%. Mm. Um, but we get to june july august it 's coming back over the horizon right into the forefront of our of, of our view, and mm. people will then react to it what 's interesting though, is that price ideas now for the balance of the year mm. have taken a small shift, shall we say downwards we were th- There were plenty of people talking about thirty euros mm. they 're not talking thirty anymore they 're talking maybe twenty eight mm-hmm. so we twenty two well twenty four twenty eight range okay that 's what i 'm hearing the most from people this is, is that kind of range for the bulk of the, of the balance of the year mm. that represents a slight adjustment
0: downwards but not an important one mm. and of that 20% rise in april i mean was that partly or largely due to speculators in the market I would think that
1: was a factor. You may even have had some compliance element. Because remember, people don't just buy in April for the previous year's compliance. They're buying all year long. Mm. There are many utilities out there, particularly Eastern and Southern Europe, who do not sell power three years ahead and hedge the carbon, hedge the fuel. They sell power within the year, and they hedge as they go. Mm. So there's a constant, if you like, baseload of demand in carbon and fuels from those kind of utilities. They are the ones who are you know, still there, still there, still there all the time. That barring doesn't go anywhere. Um, on top of that, you then have industrial compliance companies who, having experienced the shock of their lives in 2018 when they were staring at a price of 15, 16 euros when previously it had been six or seven, think, we better be a little bit more proactive about this. So there's that to consider as well. So there are people out there who've just finished their 2018 compliance who are now saying, let's go out and start picking up some
0: 19 EUAs as well for what happens in, in, in you know, 12 months' time. We've been talking about technicals, and you, you mentioned some of the patterns. But how about the fundamentals? I mean, there are some, some bearish factors out there. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, in 2018 emissions fell. What's the outlook for 2019, for, especially for power sector emissions, and, and what impact could that have on hedging demand?
2: Yes. So from one point of view, you have to keep in mind that this market, after all, is vastly oversupplied still, right? And there are things that are happening from the regulatory side, namely the market uh, stability reserve, which are you know, progressively tightening the market. So, so we must never forget this. Now, if the market is excessively long, who holds this length and what kind of price levels do we need to have to encourage this length to change hands, essentially? Mm. And so who's long is industrials? If you look at European PMI indices over the last couple of years, they've been you know, coming down. Uh, they never really recovered properly since the crisis of uh, a decade ago. And so industrials have length. Speculators also have length. Who's on the short side of this is utilities. And so prices need to be high enough Mm -hmm. To encourage this length to move from the current holders, which is speculators, which made the smart buys, right, at 5, at 10, at 15, and so on and so forth, and industrials, because they've not been polluting as much, to utilities. So what Alessandro was mentioning in terms of this commodity complex and fuel prices and the relativities of coal versus gas prices um, are going to have an impact as the new season comes. Mm. And so once you look into this, you must also look at weather. And for example, one consequence of a very strong hydro year last year is the fact that there was less fossil fuel generation, which then itself led to decreased emissions. Mm. Once again, we're talking about quantities of about 100 million. So at the margin, if you think of a surplus of 1.5 billion
1: tons, Mm. right? The other thing to bear in mind is, is that we had a fairly mild winter. Look at all the natural gas that's been you know, coming over, and someone wrote a, a headline describing an armada of yeah. LNG tankers coming this way. Mm. Storages are at high levels for this time of year, uh, and they will only get higher as more and more ships come this way. Um, gas is in the money as a generating fuel. It certainly doesn't d- dominate the, mm. um, the generation uh, portfolio across Europe, but it is certainly doing a lot better this year than it did this time last year. Mm. And if prices for gas continue to go down, more switching takes place, fewer emissions. So we had a 3.8% drop in emissions uh, in 2018. We could see a similar, perhaps even a bigger drop this year if you combine more fuel switching, more solar, more wind, and perhaps a little bit less hydro right? because the, because the water levels are a little bit lower. But at the same time, you've got industrial confidence dropping. Their PMI indices keep keep coming in lower and lower. Uh, the, the overall picture is one of another year in which emissions will fall. And then, in theory, then prices
0: should also point downwards.
1: That's also true. But then you have to c- calculate that the MSR removes more allowances from the market than the reduction in emissions releases into the market, if you sure. see what I mean. Sure, so the
0: MSR is a very... It's a, it's, a yeah.
1: game-changer. It, it is the most important factor. Mm. Now, another thing that we haven't mentioned from May is the, is the calculation of the total number of allowances in circulation, which is a calculation that the European Commission will supply in about two weeks' time,
0: mm-hmm. which... So, te- so keep reading Montel.
1: Keep reading Montel. It will tell us how many what the surplus is, mm. effectively. Mm. And from that number, they will calculate how many EUAs to remove from the market from September this year through until August next year. So we will find out exactly what the auction program is going to be from September to December. Uh, we will find out exactly how long the market grew f- this year, uh, in, in 2018, rather. And, and people will be able to act on the basis of that information. That's that's important statistical information that that, that tells us how the MSR is going to work In the next year,
0: Paolo, you mentioned industrials, and there's been um, one industrial in particular this week that's hit the headlines: is British Steel. It announced early on in April that it couldn't meet its ETS shortfall as it hadn't received its allowances for 2019. So, in previous years, the company had borrowed from its forward allocation to cover compliance at the end of April. Now, what's the current situation? Um, it's, It's apparently managed to secure this loan? What's the deal here? What, what are the implications of this?
2: Well, the general behavior uh, that uh, industrials have had, it's a sort of a common practice, is that they have borrowed from future years to be able to sell, mm. you know, sort of monetize this, their length, right? Again, they're not polluting enough. They've got excess uh, allowances. They can even borrow to monetize these allowances as prices go up one crucial element here is that though we are at the end of the phase and there's no borrowing in between mm. in between phases so it's a little bit of a of a of a game that's come to a, an abrupt end
0: mm. and there's a the brexit factor as well
2: and there's a brexit factor as well and so one general point is that is that if this is a behavior that's not just of British steel, but also of companies in a similar situation, these would tend to have a, a supporting impact on prices, right? The last thing you want to do is to have to cover a short position mm. in an environment where prices are rising, right? So, sure. so that's supportive for EUA prices. But one other point I wanted to to bring up and, and, and maybe ask Alessandro is a um, hundred million, that's a lot of allowances, that buys a lot of allowances, doesn't it?
1: Yes, I think their allocation comes in at just over 6 million tons a year. This is British steel. Mm. Their free allocation to three sites in the UK comes in to over 6 million tons. Mm-hmm. Um, and that today, today's prices would generate something in the order of 130 million euros mm. from, from my calculations. So that sum of money, the 120 million they borrow from the UK government, Mm. Um, the UK government then took that money, went out and bought the allowances, and then gave them to, to British Steel to surrender last week or Monday. They have to find that money going forward, and there is a it's a short term bridging facility. But the the, the uh, government statement that was made yesterday says the government will take ownership of a British Steel allocation for 2019 and monetize those allowances to recoup the funds
0: but this raises important implications not least state aid issues i mean uh, you know if 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 you know across europe if the governments were to step in and to cover the shortfall for certain companies i mean uh, you know I mean, what ask yourself though is a loan state aid is a bridging loan state aid i'm not one to decide i'm no. sure that's something for but that's, for, for brussels that's why it's
1: being presented as such now mm. It's possible that, um, bear in mind, the UK government has said it will sell 2019 allowances belonging to British Steel Mm. to recoup the funding. At the moment, there are no UK allowances for 2019 because of the current Brexit uh, safeguard mechanism. So it is possible that the UK government will never be able (laughs) to sell 2019 allowances. So what happens then? Mm. We then pitch ourselves further forward into a future in which there's a UK emissions trading system. Hmm. And perhaps that is when the government would take British steel allowances from the domestic ETS and sell them off. Hmm. Of course, the price is important as well because the government's had to pay X Euros a ton for those allowances it had to buy for British Steel. Will the UK ETS price in the future guarantee that we are that the government will recoup the loss or entirely? Or the
0: EU ETS price? Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I, was, I mean, um, but you, you've also been very critical of the potential management strategy around this at yes. British Steel. Yeah. I mean, what, what could, you, um, could you? Yeah. Say I'm, something about that.
1: The whole idea of borrowing raises head back in the global financial crisis, when companies who were short of cash and coming up against, you know, a crash in global demand, and et cetera, et cetera, found themselves in a situation where they needed to quickly
0: raise money. And they got a little gift of EUAs, a package of well, EUAs they in did. February. They,
1: they, they worked out that you receive your current year allocation by the end of February, early March. You only have to retire allowances to cover your previous year's emissions by end of April. Mm. So you have a two-month overlap. So... Smart companies would have said, well, hang on a second, I'll sell my 2012 EUAs, and I'll use my 2013 allocation to pay off my 2012 compliance, and they could continue to borrow. And for 2013 compliance, they'd borrow their 2014s, and so on and so forth. At the end of this phase, that borrowing cannot happen, as in you cannot borrow your 2021 allocation to pay off your 2020 compliance. You call this
0: the borrowing wall? The borrowing wall. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Now... For small, smaller companies who don't have access to the wider market, who have to act through brokers, agents, banks, or whatever, they may not have access to the financial derivative products that would allow them to, move in, to, to borrow from phase four. It can happen. Mm. You simply do a time swap. Mm. What you do is you buy uh, 2020 EUAs for your 2020 compliance, and then you sell 2021 EUAs to mm. balance that, into phase four using a derivative using or a, a derivative, derivative. A swap mm. basically you do enter phase four 2021 with a shortfall of one year so you've basically delayed the problem by using a sophisticated financial product mm. to bounce your borrowing into the next phase
0: mm. so you're kicking the borrowing into the long grass yeah so mm.
1: it, i mean the larger companies i mean who, who have this who have this situation at hand will could possibly do that mm. other companies who don't have access to that kind of capital that size of market may, may find themselves
0: you know having to scramble around for euas borrowing mm. them from a bank but is it more of a, is it borrowing wall or a borrowing kind of bounce is it or it, how- well if you're smart
1: enough and you've got a big enough rubber ball you can bounce over that wall
0: mm-hmm. like it you, how about you Paolo? what, yeah. what are your uh, views on this yeah
1: you will need
2: some sort of financial sophistication to do that and let's not forget the interest in of doing this for many smaller companies as Alessandro is saying they are just busy and interested in making widgets so to speak right they don't want to have this additional concern of having to manage fi- sophisticated financial products
0: and the risk associated with that I mean and of course the risk associated. and it with seems that. like British Steel did not have that in place so to, to go back to
1: British Steel at some point in the last 10 years, whether it was under the ownership of Tata Steel or under the ownership of Graybull Capital, mm. someone took a decision to monetize a year's worth of allowances for cash and to borrow the next year's allocation for previous year's compliance. Mm. Now, we don't know when that decision was taken. It could have been done by Tata. It could have been done by Graybull. The point is, is that Brexit mm. has, co- has, has provided a wall. Mm because Grable simply does not have the resources to buy one year's worth of allowances, or it doesn't have the cash in hand. It's had to borrow the cash. Mm. Um, Whether that was a mistake, whether it was poor risk management, uh, is neither here nor there. The fact is Mm. someone made a bad decision, Mm. um, and it's come back to bite
0: them. Yeah, I mean, is this uh, a boon for companies who are offering offering... consultancy or financial services um it may well
1: be that the the services required to go through this process where you you know go to the market you know buy the euas and surrender them can be applied can can be supplied by intermediaries of various types Mm. um the fact is that it is a a british Steel said well you know we're a big company we are a big employer in this country um, we're going to go straight to the top and get a bailout from the top.
0: Mm, sure. and, I mean, but do you think this is the tip of the iceberg, uh,
1: Paolo?
2: Or, or... Well, I don't think British steel is alone in this practice. Um, however, if we want to attach some weights to this, I don't, I don't know how many other large companies would have done it on such a, on such a size.
1: Mm. Remember that British steel or Tata steel, it's a commodity making company. They, they they make steel. They're involved in futures markets all the time. They're involved in all these sophisticated financial transactions. They're like a Thyssen Steel or any other big company.
2: Correct. And let's not forget um, um, foreign exchange, right? Yes. So the the fact that the dollar has appreciated and the impact that this has
1: had mm. over uh, other currencies.
0: So for car- the carbon is a very small piece in, in, in their sort yeah. of global pie, if yeah. you like. Yeah.
1: Not every company is going to have access to the kind of tools that larger companies... In the EU ETS, have or the financial
0: sophistication that, exactly. that involves exactly. exactly,
2: or the appetite for risk taking.
0: Mm. That's, I think, that's more to the point as well. Maybe you see variants across variants across Europe uh, in that regard. Sticking to the UK, so Brexit has been delayed to October. What about the the auctions that are supposed to happen in the UK? Um, will the UK get clearance to issue auctions for this year? If you look at the text. Of the regulation that the European
1: Commission published, it says that the UK will only be able to auction and allocate EUAs the day after the ratification of the withdrawal agreement. Now, that could happen any time between now and the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's really not up to the commission, uh, not 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 up to the commission whether or not to give the e- UK clearance to issue allowances. It's up to the UK government. To agree to the withdrawal agreement before the, that sign can the deal, sign yeah. on the dotted line, mm. and you'll get your EUAs. Mm. The, the question that occurs to many people is: What happens if we have to wait all the way to, to October? If we wait to October, and the chances are the UK government might ask for a further delay, uh, what happens then? So, no auctions this do year. Do we just chalk off twenty nineteen and say, "Look, let's you know, forget about it"? Mm. Um, and if there's a deal at the end of twenty nineteen or early twenty twenty, what do we do about twenty twenty? Who knows? But the, the, the point is, is that the ball is most definitely in the UK's court here. It controls whether or not the EUETS EU can continue to apply to UK companies. In the meantime, put yourself in the, in the position of a UK utility who don't get any freebies at all, who have to buy from the market. They are out there buying, if they're being very careful, they're buying EUAs to cover their generation, their emissions, every day in 2019 not certain whether or not they'll actually be able to use them. Mm. And if when the UK leaves the EU, will those EUAs that the UK utilities own be fungible, be tradable? Can mm. they sell them back into the marketplace? Mm. I don't know what the the industrials would do. They would pr- mm. probably say, "Look, we should be getting a free allocation,
0: so we, you know, we'll wait for that." So Paulo, what are your views here? I mean, this is a Great deal of uncertainty for UK companies. Yes,
2: and let's again let's not forget that if indeed there is a disorderly Brexit, a No Deal Brexit, you know, this will have a strong impact on the uh, economic uh, side for both the EU and and the UK. And I think the size of this impact is larger than what happens to simply to the the carbon market. Yeah,
0: but even so, in the carbon market, what would have so if the this uncertainty for UK companies. needing to cover 2019 compliance without these auctions does that have a wider impact in the ETS for for you know both for uh, supply demand and or prices
2: yes and and again let's not forget once again that that there was a relief rally once the no deal brexit in march a, early april was avoided right mm-hmm. so you've got to reverse that and go the other way if there is a no deal brexit that created creates way more problems and that would have a strong bearish impact on the commodity price.
1: Yeah, I mean, the UK is net long of EUAs. It, it, it emits fewer tons of CO2 than it issues in EUAs. So a removal of the UK from the market, which is effectively what we're seeing right now, is tightening. does tighten the market, mm-hmm. not by hundreds of millions of tons, but by an appreciable amount. Mm-hmm. If we have a deal, the UK resumes participation, its supply comes back to the market, the market is therefore a little bit longer. If there's a no-deal Brexit, the question then becomes, what's going to happen to older UK EUAs pre-2019? Will they come back to the market? Will they be sold off? Are they already parked in accounts over the channel waiting to be
0: sold? I think there's there's a lot of stuff here to to come back to in the coming weeks or months, and I very gladly uh, uh, invite the, these two veterans of of the carbon market back uh, um, for another pod. But I think we we have to round off here. Next week we'll be in Germany at our German Energy Day in Dusseldorf with the latest hot topics from from that market. So so please please join us there. And don't forget to keep up to date with our reporting on Montel News and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much, Paolo. Thank you very much, Alessandro. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Richard.